So, Romans 7, I think we got through verse 12, if I'm not mistaken. I'm going to back up to verse 12. So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and just and good. And somehow that seems a contradiction to verse 11. For sin, seizing an opportunity in the commandment, deceived me, and through it killed me. Like, the commandment's somehow to blame, so therefore it's holy, just, and good. How do we unpack that? <laughs> well, just because I'm sinful doesn't mean a law isn't holy. Okay. I think the word that troubles me is so. If he had said, however, I wouldn't have a problem at all. (laughs) But so usually means as a result of or coming out of this, and I'm having a hard time seeing the connection. Here it says, but still, the law itself is holy. That's Hmm. interesting, but still. Yeah. So maybe the word so, and I'm trying to think what it is in Greek, and I'm not remembering, but maybe that word has other meanings that are less positive. Um, Still, the law is holy and just and good. To me, that kind of makes more sense. It's easier to digest because it kind of separates it a little bit. Well, it's sort of the however that I was looking for. (laughs) (laughs) Um, let's, Let's leave it there, and maybe I'll open my Greek New Testament this afternoon. Um, so, um, Adrian, do you want to read verses 13 through 20? Please? Sure. Okay. Did that which is good then become death to me? By no means. But in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it produced death in me through what was good. So that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. We know that the law is spiritual. But I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. (laughs) It almost feels like the devil made me do it. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Um, Right away it makes me think of that other verse. What is it that says it's not I but Christ? mm Mm-hmm. That lives within me. That lives within and that we understand readily. The, you know, isn't that true? We feel like he's trying to get himself off the hook here a little <laughs> bit. And I don't know that that's what Paul means. Yeah. Um, but I want to back up to 13. Uh, I, as, as Adrian was reading that, I felt that I should have obeyed the adage of read on. <laughs> this verse answers the question I raised. What does, does what is good then bring death to me? Is it the law's fault? that I sin. So that was kind of the crux of the question. It was sin sin. working death in me through what is good, through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. In other words, might, as as your version put it, recognized as sin. Yours Mm -hmm. is a T, NLT? Mm -hmm. I think so. 
think it's NIV. NIV. Oh, NIV. I think mine's NLT. Mine's NLT. Interesting. Okay. So, um, I think that um, he's making it clear here why. So, the law is holy and the commandment is holy, just and good. It would just be nice if he had moved that verse down below the verse mm-hmm. <laughs> before. Because it's a concluding verse. It's just that the connection isn't clear until the next verse. But Paul is often re- is often talking to an amanuensis who is writing feverishly. And Paul sometimes backs up. An amanuensis, a scribe? Oh, it's a scribe. Okay. It's, a, it's a little more than a scribe, a scribe who has the ability to edit and, and so on and, and rephrase, giving things clearer and more literary. But Paul, I, I often see Paul pacing in his cell, uh, which I know he wasn't always in prison, but I see him pacing in his cell and uh, saying, oh, wait, and then saying something, backing up, and, and then going on and then backing up again. And, and I just, I see him, and that's, uh, to me, that's why his writing is so irregular. Mm. And it's very difficult. If you think it's hard to understand in English, try reading Greek. Mm. <laughs> Paul is very difficult. He is so convoluted yeah. and so complex in his thinking that um, I I just admire the amanuenses that could actually make some kind of sense out of what he was saying. Do you think um, it would have been different if they had the backspace? Like, can you rewrite that to make it sound? Oh, I think if he'd had a computer, Paul would have been very e- much more easy to understand. But maybe it would have, it would have been worse. <laughs> he would have been adding par- par- parenthetical statements <laughs> everywhere. Footnotes everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yes, footnotes everywhere. Yes, that would have been Paul. <laughs> there will be a long line, as my colleague said last week. Uh, people trying to <laughs> trying to ask Paul what I wonder if we'll take a number in heaven <laughs> what's kind of funny about that idea though is being in heaven the whole purpose of what he's going to was he wanting to describe of, of, every, of everything is going to be there you know mm-hmm. so it's like mm-hmm. it, so if we're if we were to really get steeped yeah. in, in Romans I wonder if Things wouldn't come back to, oh, that's why he said that. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. why he said that. I think it could happen even here. I'm just making it, yeah. It's just very hard to get steeped in Romans because our memory tends to rely on understanding. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what well, yeah, we don't understand, right. we don't it's tend true. to remember. It's true. So, the law is spiritual, but I'm of the flesh sold into slavery under sin, and I, it's not me who does it, it's the sin within me that does it. What do we do with that? Your kids would love that. Right? <laughs> Mommy, it wasn't me who who burnt the toast. It was <laughs> it's my inattention in me. <laughs> well, and there's some truth to that. Mm-hmm. There's definite truth to that's that. It's such a hard thing because we have both of it inside of us we, that we want to. We do want good, to do, but we don't do but it. We don't and. And then we are hard on ourselves because we don't understand why we didn't because we really wanted to. I mean, it's it's so true. It's like this morning I finally realized that the reason I stay up too late, which has been my battle for the last year. I, I mean, it's been it should have been a battle for the last five years, but it's been a battle for the last year because I've been trying to get to bed earlier. 
and it, it's dawned on me I'm bored and I want to stay up and I don't feel like I've done enough I've exercised my mind enough mm. and sleeping is not it's, no it's, it's not, not engagement it's not an engagement <laughs> it's boring <laughs> I'll never forget my little girl when she was little. She was yeah. I would say Megan I, would probably be bored quite would, easily. Yeah. When I put her to sleep, she'd say, "How many hours till morning?" Aww. Every night, every night. How many hours? Till? I'm like, "Why do you ask? Because it's boring to sleep." <laughs> <laughs> she wanted to be doing things. <laughs> and that's a that's a, a highly active mind. Mm-hmm. So I. You know, I want to every night. I think tonight I'm going to get to bed early and something always happens or I do I think of something to happen. So how to break that cycle. I wish I were a morning person. It would be so much easier. <laughs> makes me think of um, like mental illness a little bit that, you know, when someone has a mental illness or a disease of that sort, we don't blame them for the action. We blame the disease for the action, kind of. But things like going to bed if it's not insomnia or, you know, bad habits, we tend to blame the person for that and say, why can't you just make the stop decision? That? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I w- ended up on jury... Well, I, didn't, I ended up short of the box for a case of a man in Napa State Hospital who badly injured one of the nurses and uh, the nurse was still in the hospital mm. uh, I mean he broke bones he oh my he was it was uh, very very bad and of course here he is mentally ill and so the question is is he guilty mm-hmm. and uh, <clears throat> I was very thankful I didn't have to be on the jury I remember walking out, they they let those of us who didn't have to go in the box out, and I was walking out with one of the other persons who had gotten off the hook. As we were walking uh, towards our cars, we struck up a conversation about the case, and she said that was a very difficult case. Mm-hmm. And I had to agree with her. Because my tendency is to want to hold some kind of accountability, mm-hmm. some level of accountability mm-hmm. to those with mental illness. And, of course, I especially do when they're aware of what they're doing and remember it afterwards. Mm-hmm. I realize there are some, uh, those with bipolar disorder, who don't remember a thing after they've done the damage. So that's a little different to me. So I think my my struggle would be, I don't I can't really let him off the hook, but I would I would want a different kind of sentence, maybe a rehabilitation time kind of sentence, if possible. But of course, the question is, can they be rehabilitated? Mm-hmm. Because if they won't take their medication, mm-hmm. they can't. But then, if you fit, view sin as a mental illness. <laughs> <laughs> We're all in that boat, aren't we? Maybe that's what Paul is trying to say. You know, I'm I'm sick. I'm really sick, and I'm sick in my head. And this is where how I where I am. I I I can't seem to do what I want to do. 
That's a hard thing, because like you said, it sounds very not taking responsibility. <laughs> but there's also a difference between taking responsibility for your actions and taking your responsibility for solving the underlying illness. Hmm. What do you mean? Like, in the case of someone with an actual mental disorder, they arguably can't be held accountable for every one of their actions because some of it is initiated by the disorder, but they can consistently take the medication and get help. And if they go about that process, then they can be rehabilitated and like enter normal existence. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. if you treated sin as the mental illness, you can treat the mental illness and through that, mm. then... In other words, I'm not responsible for getting well, but I'm responsible for acting sick. Is, is, that, is that what I'm you're saying? For the discipline of doing what needs to be done. Yeah. So. Oh, like, okay. Like so taking I'm, the meds or like. Yeah, like yeah. sin initially is what is causing me to to fall through and do what I do not wish to do, but I need to make the decision to overcome or like seek help for sin so that I don't right. continue making right. the same. Right. 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 In other words, and and maybe this is why. Ellen White fairly consistently speaks of the wicked as those who reject God's mercy. It, it, the problem isn't that they're sick and doing all these things. Mm -hmm. The problem is that they've rejected the means of getting out of that sickness, mm -hmm. of, of finding healing and mm -hmm. restoration. That's an interesting which, concept. Yeah, which is really rebellion. Mm -hmm. Beca and not being it means I like being sinful. Right. I like what I'm doing. I don't want to change. Yeah, and it's not being humble and realizing I need right. help. So maybe we shouldn't read this in any other way than what it re how it reads. You know, so I think sometimes we try to get around this concept that it isn't the sin. It isn't I who do it. It's the sin within me who does it. We try to get around that and, and repackage this, but. Um, Maybe maybe there's something to be said about we really are sick, and and we're not we're not so much held accountable for the sickness itself and its manifestation, uh, which are the deeds that we do, but we are responsible for whether we get help or not. I think that's the point, right? And God recognizes when we're working towards trusting in Him and getting better in that way, mm -hmm. even though we will mm -hmm. always continue mm -hmm. to sin. So verses uh, 21 to 25, would you read that please, Sabrina? Mm -hmm. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God, who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. I think that kind of sums it up. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, it's clearly a dualism that he's, mm -hmm. he's spelling out here. Um, on the one hand, 
We have the sinful nature. On the other hand, uh, we have the new nature. He doesn't spe- he doesn't refer to it as a new nature. He talks in terms of slavery. But truly, when we are converted, we are given a new nature, and that new nature impels us to obey and, and makes the law attractive to us. But we always have this this other dual nature. I'm thinking that this this struggle is only a struggle when we are aware of our need. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah, yeah. If we're if we're giving into the the law of sin, that's not a struggle. And our our natures, um, it's no struggle. Right. It's only a struggle when we try to break loose. Right. Or to use my illustration, I wasn't struggling uh, two or three years ago. I was just giving in, Uh, maybe wincing a bit because I was, but now I'm struggling. So I realize. Do you think the last little bit where it says I'm a slave to God's law and a slave to the law of sin, are those the two sides of the struggle that he's talking about? Because he uses the word law in both cases. Yeah, it's interesting. He Instead of using the word, uh, to, he uses the word law of sin instead of the natural, my natural flesh or mm-hmm. my... You know, here it says sinful nature. Sinful okay. nature. Mm-hmm. But, you know, actually, I look at verse 21. I find it to be a law that when I want to do what is good, evil lies close at hand. So it, he finds, he, he sees God's law as descriptive. The end of these things is death. Uh, let's see, chapter 6, I think, has a... I guess not. But when he talks to himself about a slave to the law... It means he's trying to keep the law. When he talks about being a slave to the law of sin and death, he sees that as descriptive law. He sees both laws, I think, as descriptive. Uh, because the natural end is death, of disobeying the law. So the law describes what is good. That is the law of God. The law of sin and death is is all about this being uh, slave to the natural state I'm in. It's interesting here that they say, I've discovered the princi- this principle of life. Yeah, of they're saying prin- principle instead yeah. of law. Yeah. But that's because they don't understand that Paul sees this as a descriptive law, as a, a design law, uh, the design of sin. Mm-hmm. It has me in its grip. Anything else in this chapter before we move on to 8? Well put. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it really. Is. You know, I mean, now let me bring to you the debate that the Adventists have usually had about this. <laughs> is this struggle that Paul's in is that after conversion or before mm. conversion? Well, that, I think it's like what I said. We're not going to be in the struggle unless we're aware. I think it's after I think conversion. It's after. But you know, the scholars have Adventist scholars have wrestled on both sides right. of this. Right. It's because after conversion, you shouldn't have any struggles. You should just be oh, overcoming. This has oh, been the Adventist. That's what it is. I don't think it is anymore. I don't think this is a, a, a debate anymore. But it was. But it was back in the 70s and that 60s. we should be overcomers at all times. Yeah. And, and it's a sign that we're not converted if we're struggling. Oh, oh what a horrible time to live in. <laughs> I mean, that's... Make everyone feel like they're 
faking their right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. Anyway, that's that's the P.S. I'm adding yeah, to this chapter. I don't think we're debating that at all. So mm -mm. let's move on. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, no, just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Be back in laughs> <seconds. laughs> okay, Adriano, uh, would you please read uh, verses one through eight, okay. chapter eight? Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, in, in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so He condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what the nature desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. So he says there has to be a struggle, or this is where we end up. But let me talk about law and how he's using it. Uh, the law of the Spirit is the law he's talking about. That is the revitalizing law. And what is the law of the Spirit? I can just think of a verse that talks about the fruits of the Spirit. But is there a... I think that's a good place to start. Okay. So the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, graciousness, something else, and self-control. <laughs> I'm forgetting the list. And I don't think I had it in the right order. I at one time did have it memorized. When you have a tree that stops bearing fruit, what do you do? Before you cut it down, <laughs> nurture it. Okay. You, 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 Try I would be, if the leaves were withering, I'd be cutting off a branch or a twig, yeah. and I would be taking it to the local nursery, which is Central Valley now, and I would be saying, What's wrong with my tree? This is my tree, <laughs> apple tree. What do I do? And they would say, You have whatever. Uh, I did that one year. Mm. had fire blight. It was a year that we had, it rained for 52 consecutive days after a drought. So the tree was in wow. the mode, so the apple tree was in the mode of trying to survive drought. And then it got this 52 days of rain and it developed fire blight. And they said, if you don't cut your tree down, other trees are going to get infected. And that's a, a, a bug, or, or is it it's, just a... What happens is, well, I cut my tree down, and what I saw was the core was all dark brown. Mm -hmm. All the way up. So I cut my tree down. I left a stump about that high. My, out, uh, my cat thought her end had come, because that was her favorite climbing tree. <laughs> so she was roaring around the yard, acting out, and... Uh, <laughs> 
she she climbed my much smaller than it is now. Oh, what was it? What is it? Uh, it's a flowering tree. Um, anyway, she climbed it and put her arms around it like this, like, don't cut this down. Oh, <laughs> so cute. I said, no, Foxy, I won't be cutting that down. Anyway, that was the end of the tree, I thought. And it kept sending out twigs from the root mm-hmm. system. And I'd cut them off because they were at odd angles. You don't want a tree growing out of that. And then one day there was, I saw this root, uh, this little twig coming out like this, perpendicular, or parallel, I should mm-hmm. say, parallel to the tree. I thought, well, that can't hurt to leave. Five years later, I had the apple blossoms. Mm-hmm. And I had thought, since it came from the root, this tree has to be grafted before it'll bear fruit. I I can't possibly expect fruit from a tree that doesn't have a graft in it. And um, so it had six apple blossoms. And when and when they produce, I thought, well, they'll it'll bloom, but it won't produce any fruit. Well, here we had six big apples, <laughs> and the former tree had had little spindly apples that weren't worth much and didn't have much flavor. So my neighbor said, I'll try one. So she picked it, because I thought they won't taste like anything. She picked it, ate it. She says, well, that's pretty good. (laughs) And she's not a real apple lover. Uh, So for years, that tree burst itself, blooming and giving apples. And I had one year, I had so many apples, and they were like this big around. Uh, and it's a golden, delicious tree. I, t- I lugged home like two or three boxes of apples to give to my parents because they lived in that time in, near, in North Fork. And there were too many for them, so I ended up lugging a box back. <laughs> now it's in the doldrums. This year I gave it a complete rest, no pruning, nothing. I am watering it. But it's in the doldrums because the worm, the the moths keep getting it. I put out five traps, I think, last year, or at least four traps for moths. They totally ignored the moths, ignored, ignored the traps, and went for the apples. Mm-hmm. So, what do you do? Well, the Bible does talk about giving the land a rest and giving everything a rest, and so I decided this year would be the rest year for the apple tree. After all, it's born apples now for nine, since 1998, I think. Uh, so about That's 20 years. Yep. <laughs> That's 20 years that it's born fruit. So it's time for a rest, pastime. So we'll see what it does. But so, so but I don't, the thing I don't do is go out to my apple tree and say, shame on you for letting those moths get you. Beat you up. (laughs) (laughs) And I I think this is what Paul is is trying to get us away from, this this thing of how we deal with guilt. We tend to beat ourselves up, perpetually asking God to forgive us, like he hasn't, and he won't, unless we beg and beg and beg our lives away. Or keep telling ourselves, shame on me for doing that. Um, There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death is the opposite of the law of the Spirit. And the law of the Spirit operates much like growing a tree. 
You treat the whole tree. You work to minister to the tree. You try to restore the tree. You bound up, bind up the wounds. If that is the way we did everything in the church, we would have a so much healthier church. Because often what happens is we give in to the old self, the, the natural law of sin and death, the, the natural flesh, and we feel terribly guilty, and we, we focus on our guilt, we focus on what we did, and we do it again. And we do the same cycle over and over again, trapping ourselves in it. Whereas if we moved on to the, in, in hope and belief that God forgave us and back to trust, uh, we would have the law of the Spirit. The Spirit would work in us to cleanse us from that, what we did. And I, so I think that we have to look at natural law in a sense. or and, and actually the law of the Spirit isn't even fully like natural law. It's something different in a sense than natural law because the natural law is more the, the sin, law of sin and death. It's what mm-hmm. we tend to, our natural bend. But the law of the Spirit infuses love into us and loves us back to recovery. So the, maybe the, the idea of recovery from illness and, and that sort of thing is the metaphor we should use for understanding this. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, whether it's through guilt or through lust. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set their minds on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For this reason the mind is, not, is set on the spirit, flesh is hostile to God, does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So we have to be, have our mind set on the Spirit. On the, and, and I think that, I keep seeing footnotes here. I also see this section as, um, as you're living in, in this world and you're living in secular life. There's a difference. Like up here in England, we're kind of protected by it. But, you know, let's say, you know, I was just discussing this with somebody, and, and I said, you know, when you go to a concert, like, most of the time, if it's popular, you know, I'm not going to pick on one particular group, but I mean, an example, like hip-hop, the, the, the things that you're being told or, or you're celebrating at the moment is typically sexual in nature to say the least and then there's there's just different values that you're like absorbing at, at that you know area uh or in that situation sort of an immersement in immersement uh i can't say this it's sort of like being immersed in it yeah you're and, you're really it's in in the water you're swimming in so to speak yeah and because we were uh we had just finished reading chapter four philippians i flipped to that because when we talked about what is the fruit of spirit i kind of remembered another set that we've been reading and it says you know uh it's verse eight uh chapter four verse eight it says finally brothers whatever is true mm-hmm. noble right i'm skipping the whatevers you know <laughs> pure uh lovely admirable um excellent praiseworthy and I think of myself, you know, I've taken a detour in life. I've gone to those places. And when you go there, you don't see whatever is, I mean, you substitute that being lovely because you're feeding that, you know, your sinful nature. And you're like, oh, yeah, this is great. 
But is it really great? I mean, are you really... There's, there's a certain level in which you feel like I'm normal, I'm human, I'm like everybody else, yeah. I'm not different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's something in us that wants to not be different. Mm-hmm. There's an, an, an acceptance, but yeah. it's, it's not the... You know, you can find that in faith community as well. You mm-hmm. can be accepted. Mm-hmm. And obviously, being accepted by God is by far the most powerful thing that you can experience, but... But you don't think about that when you're there, you know, you just... So I think that influences us a lot, and therefore I think, you know, you start acting out and, and viewing the world in that fashion, and what you're, you're getting preached to a lot. And I think when I, when I finally turned the radio off um, to popular music, then I started experiencing change in my life that was meaningful, that was spiritual. And, I, you know, others, like my wife can testify to that. Like, well, you, you've changed. And it's because I start stopped letting the trash in that kind of pulled me towards that mindset. Um, and it's, you know, it's very liberating because you then you're no longer a slave to that. You no longer shove those chains on you. Yeah. There is something about being a slave to sin that is very, it's a heavy burden to carry. Yeah. And when you're released from that, I'll give you my own example. Pastor asked us to fast for a month. Mm. So I picked Facebook. Not touching it. The newsreel especially. Yeah. And I I did it for a whole month. And at the end of the month I was like, Wow, I don't miss that. Yeah. <laughs> but then I started getting back into it and the other last yesterday afternoon I was like, you know, no, I'm not gonna go there. And that's something to- almost innocent, isn't it? I mean, to look at different news feeds, most people post things that are uplifting and, I mean, things like animal stories and, and good deeds that people do. But it it's, does something to the brain because you're going flipping. You're flipping, you're flipping, you're flipping from one thing to another. And it actually causes your brain to become a little bit like ADHD. Mm-hmm. You can't focus as much. You can't attend as much. Um, and more than that, your mind becomes a sieve, and pretty soon the few trashy things you find on there, you start getting drawn toward. Mm. So um, I, on that level, I, I can totally relate. The other level is I'm, I'm going to make a confession now. And the confession is I'm, I'm very different from most people in the community because I got rid of my television about 13 years ago. Mm-hmm. Well, four, four, I don't know, 12 years ago. It was not helping my mental health, and it was it was like the the noise it brought, the ads it, it brought. I mean, I didn't watch hardly anything except news, but even the news really pulled me down. And uh, so, one Sabbath afternoon, I was watching a little video on on uh, Roger Williams, who has close connections to my ancestors because my aunts my Ancestor Sheldon settled in Rhode Island uh, and went there to help Roger Williams build up his colony. So I was watching this, and I don't know if it was because I had a full-spectrum light bulb burning nearby or what, but the the screen blew just completely. End of television. And I was like, you know, I don't have the money to replace this, and I know what it's doing to me, and so I got rid of it. I and you. I have I don't miss it. 
Yeah, I like to get to that stage. I'm still working on it, but I'm definitely convicted. And I, I know that's probably not very popular. You know what I mean? No, it's not popular. It's like, well, there's, uh, there's a lot of. I mean, I, I, I mean, I've argued all my life that that's not necessary. You know, with myself. But I, man, it's not about so. So then, obviously, when I'm talking about concerts with younger generation, like it's it's not very popular either. But when I noticed that my fellow fellow theology, you know, buddy was like, well, you know, because I think he was just trying to figure out a message that was like less, um, you know, less uh, drastic. Drastic. Yeah. Or, or yeah, and then just not so like. Stop going there because you're sinning. It's not that. And I, so I started thinking about it. I'm like, okay, you're right. We're all on different stages. But I think if we can all agree that it is a distraction from from doing well, doing good things for others, like meaningful things. Not you, know, you could be there supporting your friend, but it, you know that. I don't. It borderlines uh, selfishness a little bit because it's like it's fun to be there. So you know, supporting your friend may be like you know in prison. It's not so fun. You know, because you've seen a lot of hurt, a lot of pain. But the, the fact is that you're there means a whole lot to that person, you know. Um, so I just labeled it, okay, so how about we talk about it being a, a distraction? And I think distraction doesn't really offend people where they're at. But it, it does show that, okay, well, we could do something different, and it might be better. You know, I think if you can start agreeing on that, um, some of these things uh, that, that we struggle with that we don't want to let go easier to be understood you know what I mean and reflected upon because it's it's all about us reflecting well, on I, I can say for one it's it's when you've lived without it that you see the benefit yeah um, you, my walk with God is, is much better for doing it yeah. and now unfortunately I've let other things like work become a problem right well, I think what you said about being able to reflect is key mm. because I, like when we just fill ourselves with so much, yeah. um, it, it yeah. is a distraction, and it doesn't let us focus on yeah. and, and set our minds on on, yeah. on things like that list that you just said, yeah. you know, and and being reflective can be well get us to a point of right read, you know, what Paul said in seven yeah. about when you start being reflective, then you write that kind of stuff down, and it gets really. What I want to do, I can't do it. You know, yeah. but 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 when we do that, I think that's where that's where God wants us because that's that's when yeah. we realize, oh, it's that open, receptive heart to to listen to how how God wants to lead us. Yeah, um, and He knows what's healthier for us for you our know, physical and mental health and everything. You know, um, we can get so busy for God too that we actually allow that to ha- to. S- to, mm-hmm. to be a distraction. distraction. Yeah. And we can let trials be a distraction. Mm-hmm. I, the most powerful uh, angel story I've read, I, I say powerful because I think it's had the last, most lasting impact on my life. It was in the Adventist Review of a man who, uh, through an accident and through no fault of his own, broke his leg or hip. I guess he broke his hip. Uh, and... He had to drive himself to ER. And um, when he got there, a man came out of the hospital with a wheelchair and met him in his car and and helped him into the car. Now, this man was involved in social 
ills in America, trying to help people, and, and was working very hard to do that. And as he wheeled him towards the ER door, he said to him, you know, this is one of life's distractions, referring to his fracture leg, which I, I kind of jolted back like, why would he say something like that? I mean, he's in pain, he's suffering, you know, and he's just a distraction. Um, and so they, he wheeled him in and then it seemed to just disappear. He didn't see him anymore. So after he got out of the hospital, he phoned them and he said, I'd like to thank the man who met me with the wheelchair and took me to ER. And he described him and, and described everything. They said, there's no such man here. Um, and so I thought about an angel saying it's a distraction. Oh, it was the angel that said it to the guy. It was the angel that oh, said it to the, the distractions. guy. Yeah, these are the distractions. And I thought, wow, what if I viewed my trials as distractions? Mm. Yeah. Maybe they wouldn't be so, I wouldn't blow them up and give them more weight and power than they, and so that they don't have any power over me. Well, because yeah. they end up making it be very self-focused. I mean, it does. It's like, I need to, like, get better or, you know, <laughs> whatever that is versus God-focused. Yeah. If you don't mind me doing another example, it just reminded me, like, you know, with the distractions, like, um, I've heard d just different sermons throughout the years, and I just, you know, jolted my memory into thinking, like, you know, um, when we lose our temper, you know, somebody else gains it, you know, and it's not God usually. Um, and, and I think the, the thing about it is, like, you know, the reason why we lost our temper is usually because of a distraction. And you do nothing good while you're in that state. You know, um, I probably lost my temper a little bit more after I've had kids. You know, just, usually people don't, uh, you know, just twerk me like so much as because you, you, you're doing something, you want them to do something good. And when you see them making bad choices, it's very tough. Now, I've grown, you know, uh, through this process, but it's still, um, I still have so, so long to go, you know what I mean? To get to the point where I can just stop and go, look, th this is. Here, another plane, you know, a distraction in disguise. It's pulling me away mm -hmm. from the love that I'm supposed to transmit right now. Mm -hmm. um, you know, can't budge, but also I don't have to use, uh, you know, authority. I can use love. Yeah. And just, it's a, maybe it's a thousand no's, mm -hmm. but it's no. Not no. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. It's just oh, it's just such a fine line, but again, it's it's the whole thing that just leads you, takes you away from God. And maybe the worst part of it all is you're really not showing God in, in different mm -hmm. scenarios, mm -hmm. such as this one that I'm describing. You know, it's just mm -hmm. so difficult, so difficult. Yeah, lesson all to for all of us to learn. Yeah. All right, I think we need to close. Let's have closing prayer. Dear God, we thank you that you speak to us through your word and you speak to us through life as well. We ask that we might clearly discern your voice when it speaks to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. amen.